Before I preach tonight, and maybe we'll see how we go, whether I and what I preach, um, let me say, I, I was thinking about how, I, I want to sh- give some words out to people tonight, but I'm going to give you a bit of a preamble beforehand to give some context and some explanation and maybe a chance for us to keep growing together in, um, in these sorts of things. As your leader, probably the main way I can describe um, how I hold the leadership of you guys as a church is that I carry you in my heart all the time. It's like, like as a mother carries her children always in their heart, they're always thinking about them, their, their attention goes towards them, their concern is for them, their hopes are, are for them, they wonder how they're going when they're out of sight. That's how I carry you. And... Um, So when I pray, sometimes I'm praying specifically for different ones of you because you're really on my heart. Um, Sometimes I'm praying in general for the church and at other times I'm not praying for you at all but simply because you are in my heart and I bring myself before God, you are brought before God because you come with me. Um, So... This week in my prayer, and, and I guess what I would say is all the time when I'm praying for generally the church or even people specifically, things will come to mind. Maybe I'll get a word for someone. Maybe I'll just get a picture. Maybe I'll get a sense of a need. And mostly what I do is just um, in that moment pray for, if it's you, for instance, I'll pray for you. And um, I don't often then go and tell you what I've done because I will often forget that I did that, to be honest. Um, or I will, um, yeah, I should do that more often probably, but it, it's a bit like the sign. It's not low on priority, but it, it happens in the moment and then I move on and forget. But this week I um, I was praying for us and there was I've just got some words and some pictures for different people that I want to share Um, Now, as another preamble for this, uh, if you're unfamiliar with God speaking to someone um, or you're dubious about it or you're cynical about it or you're just not sure about it, this is how I understand it. When I'm praying and I'm praying for you or I'm holding you in my heart and I get a picture or a word for you, is that God speaking to me? Yes, I think it is. Um, Can it sometimes just be what I think? Yes. Um, If it's good and holy and positive, is that a problem? No. This is how I imagine it. The Bible is full of uh, teachings about the fact that we have the mind of Christ, the fact that the life of the Holy Spirit is alive in us, the fact that God is in us and he works through us. I I fully believe that God is a relational God who wants to speak to us. So when I feel those things, those thoughts or pictures or have a gut feeling, I suppose, if you want to use that language, the way I go about it is I just trust that if it's good, it's God and that there is no harm in saying it out loud. I don't tend to add, thus saith the Lord, after what I've said, because there needs to be a lot of space for it to be the pizza I ate last night or just something else, right? Now, if anyone gives you a word that's directive, and anyone being anyone in the world, that gives you a word that's specific and directive, Whether or not they add, thus saith the Lord on the end or not, it is your responsibility to bring those words before the Lord and test them and sift them and see if they are right. I don't care if it's the late Billy Graham that shows up in your mind and gives you a word from the Lord. It's on you to test it, okay? in, In the kingdom of God, there are no celebrities. In the kingdom of God, there are no people who are more important than others. In the kingdom of God, there are no people who hold more... Uh, 
It's not like God speaks to them and not to you, okay? So, so if you get a word, sure, if it comes from, I don't know, someone really amazing, maybe you kind of pray a bit more seriously about it than if it comes from Joe next door. I don't know. That's up to you. But either way, it's up, it's up to you. And you are fair within your Christian rights to hear someone say something and go, oh, I have that does not land or I don't know what they're talking about or it doesn't connect. That is fine. You can then keep it somewhere and maybe it will land with you in three weeks' time or three years' time. Maybe it never will. Maybe it was the pizza. But if it's nice, it doesn't really matter, does it? So I want to give you some context and a little bit of preamble around all of that because this is about us growing. And I am full aware that there are those among us, sometimes myself included, who can feel cynical or unsure about this sort of thing. My challenge to you would be to trust that God wants to speak to you and to weigh what people say and let it be an encouragement to you from the Lord. Um, And for those of you who are just easily take on anything anybody says because you're so desperate for direction that whatever anyone says to you, you'll go with, my challenge to you is no, God wants to speak to you and you can sift what people say and you don't need to just take it all on board. So is that okay? That's my big preamble to, to what I'm saying. So that if, if I say anything tonight and you're like, wow, that totally does not connect, you can just go, it's, it's up to you. So I've got a few things here, and actually a couple of people aren't here, but anyway. Um, that's their fault. I will, I will try and remember to deliver it to them elsewhere. Um, and actually, Peter and Catherine, I have a word for you. Oh, that is that. I have a thought about you. Uh, last week or the week before, I, was, I had you in my heart. And I was thinking about you, and this is what came to mind. I, know, I am very vague about what's just happened in Victoria, except I know something has. You've done a prayer tour. That's, a, that's the extent of my knowledge. And I felt God, uh, what I thought and felt in God was that there were some things that happened down there in Victoria that perhaps didn't make sense or were unusual in the larger context of what was going on. And I know because I know you that in the coming weeks and months you'll sit down and you'll try and put the pieces together and you'll put a a summary together of what you feel like God was doing. And I felt like God would say to you there's going to be some odd things and don't fight about trying to fit them in. Just let them be. They might not make sense to you but in the spirit they do make sense. But you could spend a lot of energy trying to fit them And you can if you want, but I think God's just saying it's okay. There's just some odd bits, write them down, hold them in the bigger picture, and if they don't make sense, it doesn't matter. So, (laughs) Um, Becky, where's Becky? When I I had you in my heart and the uh, the word rhythm uh, came to me and I had, I was, you know, so this is what happens, all right? I'm thinking Becky comes to mind and then the word rhythm comes to mind and then I'm like, what does that mean, God? And then I just roll with something and this is where you have to sort of figure out because maybe the word rhythm will mean something totally different to you. But I feel like in the next season of life, God is going to teach you some things about rhythm that are going to set you up for the rest of your life. So the picture I had is like when you're running or when you're cycling or when you're doing any kind of sort of sport, you get in this rhythm. And when you're in the rhythm, you can go, you can go, you can keep going. Um, And it's like that sense. I think there are some rhythms that God is going to give you that you're going to slot into. But I don't think these rhythms are just about going. I think God's going to give you some patterns for life and some rhythms for like rest and how, how you do this thing. And I think there's a season God's taking you into and he says it's time for you to learn some rhythms that will actually pattern you for forever. So I don't, you can take that and go with that. Jill, funnily enough, you're sitting right next to Becky. When I was uh, praying for you, I had a picture of, um, someone's going to have to give me the right language. I think it's a prism. Is a prism splits light? All right. I always imagine it's one of them chandelier drops. That's like a prism, yeah? But this, I had a picture of like one of those things where you can shine, you know, a direct beam of light into a prism and it splits it into the rainbow. And um, so that was the picture that came to mind. And as I was thinking about you and praying about that, 
I feel like there is a new season of like things coming forth from you that's going to happen. Like that might be service. It, I don't know. I Service doesn't quite fit for what I'm thinking, but it's along those lines. It's like a new season of giving of yourself, a new season of, of output, of rainbow, like, and I don't know what that will mean or what that will look like, but I feel God would want you to know you're not to fear the output that's going to come because he's the light and you're just the prism. So as he shines his light, it will get split in you and transferred out of you to be beauty and rainbow to the world. And you're not to worry about, oh, I've got more to do. It's not about that. It's about God will be the light and you will just be the prism. But there's a new thing. Maybe you've not seen parts of that rainbow before, but God's going to, there's going to be new things that come out of you. So, um, where is Je- Jessamy's up in kids' church this year? Oh. Maybe someone should go. No, no, maybe I'll, I'll tell her afterwards. Um, and the other one I've got who's here is Nick. Funnily enough, you're all in this area. <laughs> maybe, God, maybe you knew that. Um, I had a picture um, Nick, of God standing before you holding wisdom. And I feel like God would say to you, Nick, if you want it, I've got wisdom for you. If you want it. And I have, um, as I was just praying onwards from that, I was thinking about uh, that classic, everyone's like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Everyone can quote it, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... Acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. And I felt like there was a, it's like there's a, there's a question sitting in front of you where God is saying, Nick, in all your ways, will you acknowledge me? Will you seek me? Will you search for me? Will you ask me? Because if you do, I'll direct your paths. Now, on your own, I think you'll do fine. You're not a dumb guy. You're not going to make mistakes. But I think that there is something about the wisdom of God that he's holding out for you in this moment. And I don't know what if there's decisions that lie before you in life at the moment. But I think what I'd say to you is, I think what God's doing is it's not about um, what decision you make, it's about how you make the decision. So if you've got things piled like crossroads lying in front of you, sometimes we, we think, oh, which one am I going to take? And I think in this instance, God's just saying, you, you know, it doesn't matter what road you take, but it does matter how you take it. And the offer in front of you is wisdom, that if you seek God, he will lead you and he'll guide you. If you're willing to kind of lay your life before him and say, God, um, I want your wisdom. So that's what I got. And actually, Laurel, I remembered. I just felt like I, this is, I think you're hilarious. Seriously, just amazing. And I think God does too. And I think he really enjoys you. He does, of course he does. And I want to say that I enjoy you and pretty much anyone in this room who knows you really enjoys you. And I think that God would just want you to know that you're wonderful and we love you and we think you're hilarious and just keep being yourself because somehow in all of that, the goodness of God just comes alive. So is that cool? I have to keep, keep the others for another week. Um... All right, how are we going? I don't know how long that would take, so I thought maybe I wouldn't have to preach. Um, is there anyone else sitting here who's like, I just really feel like I'd like people to pray for me and to hear what God might have to say? Josh? Because I actually think that right now would be a good time if there's anyone sitting here who's like, yeah, um, that we should just do that together. So, yeah, I know. I, I, it's, I, this is where it gets hard because these are my in-laws, right? So it's like, it's that doubly close thing to get a word for them. But I actually, if I was going to say anything to you, and I'm not saying this is the Lord, but I would say look for Jesus because I think you'll find him in odd places. I think somewhere on your riding, you're going to see things and Jesus will be there for you.
us anyway. But we'll pray for you and for Josh. And who else? Come on. Nicole, anyone else? Yes. I don't, hello? Simon? Solomon. Simon. Solomon. Solomon. Linda. Anyone? Great. Going, going, gone. All right. If you're around these people, maybe let's just gather around them. And look, if you're really good at this, like let's be honest, there's some of us that are, that are used to praying and, and if you're really good at it, don't stand next to the other person who's really good at it. Spread yourselves out because it helps, you know, I, what I'm saying is Alan Cheryl separate, basically. Um, Peter and Catherine separate and uh, just <laughs> is that, that would just help. All right? Is that cool? Let's, so what we're going to do, we're going to lay hands on these people. People, I don't really want you to talk. You don't need to say, this is why I want this. Um, let's just gather around. People can just pray for them. And if God, if you think something, feel something or see something, just say it. It does not have to make sense to you. Um, it may make sense to them. And even if it doesn't, we're all polite and we'll nod and smile. Okay? And then that, that's how we'll roll. All right. Let's just take a couple of minutes to do that. Okay, now, now I'll give you like a truncated version of my sermon. So I'll make it short and less um, something than it might have been. I want to uh, just remind us and bring us back uh, tonight to that theme that we're really looking at this year around beholding Jesus. So if you've missed all of that, tonight's your uh, information night. Um, and if you, you do know, I want to remind you that as a church, I suppose, this year, I felt God leading us into a season when we were really, really beholding Jesus. And I use the word behold because I like it. It's so much better than look. Um, when I say, when I use the word behold, I kind of mean, yes, we're looking at him, we're, we're gazing at him, but we're, it's like we're transfixed by him and we're we're really engaging with who he is in the way that it's going to transform us. So it's not just about learning something new. Um, it's about really looking at him. And especially in light of the fact that scripture tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And these are some scriptures. I don't have hardly any slides because I was uninspired. Um, has Dan got them? Yeah. These are some of the scriptures that really were guiding us. Um, oh, yeah, no, you're right. I'm just trying to remember which one I put up first. In John chapter 14, John writes, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And, of course, Jesus is speaking. So anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. And before that, he says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Now, that word know doesn't mean know about, doesn't mean, um, it's, it's not about cognition, it's not about learning, it's not about, it's not about knowledge like you'd learn something. It's a, it's re, it's a relational word. Um, it's about knowing your friend. Uh, it was also used for that, for a man and a woman to know one another, you know. Um, it's that kind of word. That's like the sexy side of the word. Um, but it's about knowing. So it's when, when, when Jesus is saying this, if you know me, you know the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. Jesus never did anything that the Father did not tell him to do. He didn't say anything that God did not tell him to say. So when we encounter Jesus, we see God. And one of the reasons I'm doing this is, is that I'm aware in my own life I have so many bad pictures of God, so many false images of who he is um, that I've collected along the way in my life or that I've just picked up through my own brokenness. And yet often when I encounter Jesus, it's like, is that really what God's like? Because if God's like that, I really like God. But if God's like what I have think think is like or what I then I don't really like that God but I really like Jesus and so as we're kind of beholding Jesus I'm hoping that it's blowing up some of your false impressions of God and that you some of the lies you believe about God are going to get filled with the truth of who Jesus is so it's about knowing 
Um, in, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus isn't a nicer version of God. Jesus is God. God is nice. Jesus isn't a gentler version of God. God is gentle. Jesus isn't a loving version of God. God is love. But so often in our relationship with God, we have all these hurdles we have to get over in thinking that God is this or God is that. But he's, God is angry. God is, God, is, God is mean. God is stingy. God is a taskmaster. God is, no, God is like Jesus. And Jesus is beautiful. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Or in simpler words, as we stare at the beauty of Jesus, we are transformed into his likeness and become beautiful just like him. This is why I, I want us to be beholding Jesus, so that we capture his beauty, we're transfixed, we're led into deeper awe and worship and wonder and we are transformed into the image of Jesus, into his likeness, becoming more beautiful, becoming more gentle, becoming more holy, becoming like love, all of these things. This is what we're up to this year. And so as we're preaching our way through the Gospels, we're just looking at different things and pulling things out. But I just wanted to remind us of that and um, to remind you in your everyday life, in your day-to-day -day walk with God, as you're praying, as you're reading the Bible, to spend time beholding Jesus, really looking at him, sitting yourself in the Gospels and, and staring at Jesus, not trying to learn something new about the passage, but trying to see him, I mean, like really see him and what he's doing. Um, and so... I've been doing that since Easter, I suppose, just been looking at the, the, the post-resurrection stories and we've had some preaching on them, which has been wonderful. Linda did Doubting Thomas and Brian did The Road to Emmaus and there's, there's a handful of others. They've been great. And um, I've been looking at them as a, as a kind of like a whole and kind of with that perspective of saying, who are you, Jesus? And like, what are you doing here? And what were you like? What, 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 what spirit did you come in when you're encountering these people? Like, just kind of trying to see him uh, for, for what he was doing. And so I just want to really just skip across some of those really simply tonight and then just really say something I always say, which is have a relationship with God. So that if you, if you go to sleep now, you've got the end point. Um, here is a, a short list or a, from my best uh, Bible reading, and of course I'm going off, off uh, putting the Gospels together. This is the chronology of Jesus's post-resurrection encounters. And if I was smart, I would have put them up there, but I'm not going to read them out because it'll take us all night. His first encounter, all right, let, let's do it as a quiz. His first encounter is... Mary, dawn on, on Easter morning, Mary. Now, she's the first one to get up. She runs to the tomb. She finds it open. She then runs back, tells uh, the disciples, probably wakes them up because they're all asleep. She's not. That tells you something. She's agitated. She's the most grieved, the most upset. She hasn't slept. The men seem asleep. No comment on the men. Just... You know, they're asleep. She runs back, tells them. Two of them run, find the tomb open, and then run back again. And she's woken up at the crack of dawn, run a lot, and then she stays. Um, so Peter, I think it's Peter and John, they come, see the empty tomb, don't see Jesus, and run back to tell the others, yeah, what Mary said is right, the tomb's open. But Mary just kind of lingers. I think she's got nowhere else to go. She's the most broken or the most devastated by what's happened, and she's just 
the closest she can get to where the last place Jesus was. And Jesus meets her. And it's a bit strange because when you read the passage, there are angels involved and she doesn't recognise Jesus and it's all, you know, typical Bible kind of stuff. We all know the stories. And what does Jesus do? He speaks her name. Now, when I look at Jesus and I'm not looking at the text but I'm looking at what he's doing and I'm thinking he comes to her first. The most broken, grieved, waiting woman, he comes to her and he speaks her name. She comes alive. She's the first witness to the resurrection. She's the first one to see Jesus. And it's so personal what he does with her. This isn't like, hi, he's not aloof and distant and um, on a mission. He's there and he's present and he's personal. And he, call, and he calls a name and she sees him. And it's like an intimate moment. It's a relationally intimate moment. And then, you know, of course he says that thing, don't hold on to me, I've got to go. Well, I don't even know what that means. Has he not... Is he going back to God? Has he not gone yet? Is he doing some cosmic-like appearance? I don't, I don't understand. You can figure that out. We're not about figuring it out. She runs back and then tells the disciples, oh, I've seen Jesus, and who knows what they thought. But we all know that the eyewitness of women was rubbish. Basically, they're second-class citizens. Their word does not hold up in a court of law. You don't tell a woman something if you want it to be believed but they do know the tomb's empty. The second chronological appearance of Jesus is... No, it's not actually. The Emmaus Road. No, no. Well, I'm just reading it my back. No, I don't know. Well, anyway, you can, we can debate about that. But as I read it, the Emmaus... Because it happens during the day leading to the evening. Um... So Jesus' second appearance after he's appeared at the crack of dawn to Mary and called her name is to the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Um, so Jesus appears as a fellow traveller. Um, he walks with them. They're walking roughly 11 kilometres. So Jesus just decides that the best idea to do on the first day he's alive again is to go for a stroll 11 kilometres, with two men. Now, these two men are not two of the 12. They're not the Christian celebrities. They're not the, the chosen ones. We don't even know one of them, their names. One of them is called Cleopas in the, in the text. The other one is nameless. Yeah, if you're following, he's the, at least the, the equal second person that Jesus appears to is a nameless man, not one of the 12. Jesus appears to them, seems quite happy to go for a walk, seems quite happy to engage in their grief and their disappointment, seems quite happy to niggle them a bit and say, dudes, don't you know? And then he, he goes into Bible lesson, explains a lot to them. And they still, you know, don't recognise him for whatever reason. And then he plays you know, cheeky bugger, when they are, like, going into dinner at their village and Jesus pretends he's going to keep going. I mean, like, what's he... I mean, come on. Can you see Jesus? Like, he's just having some fun. I mean, he's, like, first day up from the grave and he's being cheeky. I like this Jesus. He's not, like, you know, oh, I'm on a mission and, you know, I need to tell you things. He's pretending he's just, oh, I'll just keep walking. And they're like, no, no, come in. It's getting dark. Have some dinner with us. Oh, all right, I'll come in. Comes in, you know, accepts their hospitality. It's only at the dinner table when he breaks the bread and blesses it that their eyes are open. They realise this is Jesus. And then he disappears from their sight. And they, full of excitement, clear person, nameless number, whoever, just run up and run back the 11 kilometres back to Jerusalem and are the equal second testimony saying Jesus is alive. And they go to the disciples in the locked room, where they're in a locked room for fear. They're freaked out. They're afraid. They're afraid they're going to get gotten by the Roman Empire. They're afraid they're going to get gotten by the Jews. And there's rumours about Jesus being alive. And they're freaked out. And then Jesus, they, they, these two from Emmaus run back and say, we've seen the Lord. And they're all there. 
And then Jesus appears in the room to them and says, peace be with you, which is the Jewish version of just saying hello. Uh, it's a common word, like, like hello. He just shows up in the room. Now he's with the celebrities and he just says, hello. And they're all freaked out and he, and he encounters them. Now this is what I want to, ha- uh, this is what I see. When I encounter Jesus, I think it's incredibly important that Jesus' first two encounters were first to a, a woman who is a second-class citizen, a, a, a despised gender, you could say, in that day. Not despised, that's a strong word. Give me a better word. Disregarded, great word, disregarded. And the second people he shows to are not the mighty ones. They're the nameless ones. Now, this is for all of us because we need to remember that what were, like it wasn't Jesus' priority to show up to the celebrities and the gung-ho enthusiasts and the, the 12 or even the three. The, the, he shows up to the nobodies first. This is the, the upside-down, messed-up kingdom. The last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus shows up, risen from the grave. First thing he does, go to the nobodies. Go to the uncool. Go to the despised. Go to the nameless. And we need to remember this for every time celebrity Christianity creeps into our brains. God goes to the unknown, the nameless, and the despised. He cares for the few and the minority groups. In fact, if Jesus was to show up today in our world, he would probably go first to some minority group that is easily disregarded and dismissed and considered untrustworthy. We need to remember that. Because probably we represent the twelve waiting in the locked room in fear, probably. But anyway, you can keep that. Then he appears in the the locked room, peace be with you, says hello. He proves himself to be, he's quite happy to be poked and prodded by the 12. He's he's happy to demonstrate this is who I am. Um, You've heard it all, like you've heard it from these people, now see it. Here I am, I'm among you. Then he eats with them. But let me say this, Jesus eats a lot after he rose from the dead. He does a lot of eating. It's a very relational thing to eat. He's always asking for food or he's cooking it or he's eating it. It's very important you remember that because food and relationship and meals are very important to Jesus, it seems. Um, And he helps them understand. He does some explaining. Um, The fourth, third, one, two, three, third appearance. Am I going to fourth? All right, fourth, yes, thank you. A week later, he appears to Thomas, still in Jerusalem. Presumably, they're all still in the... Well, they're not still in the room. They've obviously left it. They've had to go to the toilet and stuff. But it seems to be like they're gathered primarily around this room, coming and going. And they're not just the 12 of them. There's probably a whole lot of people, the faithful followers of Jesus, women included. Of course, Thomas missed out on the first miraculous appearance, and he's a bit doubtful, and Linda did a a wonderful talk on that. But now he comes... And he, again, he just appears in front of them, says, hello, here I am, peace be with you. And, um, and he, <laughs> he what, what was that? What's for dinner? Actually, this is the bit, I don't think he eats in this one, but I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. He doesn't say he did, but I'm sure he did. And then, of course, Thomas is there, and Thomas is the one who, did it, who, who missed out. He missed out. And Jesus comes to him and says, here I am, Thomas. Taste and see, check and feel. Here I am, you know, like. And I just think this speaks to us, all of us who sometimes feel like we miss out. Maybe we miss out on what we see other Christians have, some kind of dynamic, some kind of faith experience, some kind of touch, some kind of ecstatic worship. You know, you look, you look across to that person in worship and they're just like in glorious wonder and you're standing there going, oh, I can't feel it today. Well, Jesus would come to you, you who miss out. Jesus comes to the ones that miss out and he's happy to get, come on, you can see too. Comes to the doubters, happy to, to answer the questions and he's, he reassures Thomas. His tone isn't like, you flippant idiot, you should have believed. Oh, there's going to be, you don't, there's going to be thousands of people after you, Thomas, you never even see me, you're an idiot. No, it's just like, come on, Thomas. It's relational, it's gentle. Sure, he does a bit of a blessed are those who, don't see and believe. Like, you know, he gives a little bit of a nudge. Jesus always is good for a little bit of a side nudge. Um, but he's, I think he's quite gentle with Thomas. 
Jesus is gentle with you in your questions, in your doubts, in your missing out. Jesus will be gentle. He might give you a nudge, but he's going to be gentle. The next time we see Jesus um, is, is, is the miraculous catch of fish um, with some of the disciples. Now, this happens in Galilee, so they've obviously left Jerusalem. So we've had a week, according to the biblical timeline. This is sometime after the first week, and the disciples have left Jerusalem. Now they're in Galilee, where at least seven of them are. It mentions seven of the 12 are out fishing, and Jesus appears to them on the beach, and he helps them catch a whole lot of fish, and then he cooks them breakfast. This is my favourite, one of my favourite things about Jesus. I'm like, come and cook me breakfast on the beach, Jesus. I love this. This is Jesus meeting the disciples in what they knew, in the ordinary. I don't know why they went back to fishing. I mean, they had seen the risen Jesus. I don't know why. We can make all kinds of questions about why they did it. But we're not looking at them. We're looking at Jesus. And Jesus goes back to Galilee. I mean, he can go anywhere, right? Maybe he went to China in between. I don't know. Um, But he meets them in Galilee. And he's on the beach. And they're out in the boat. And he does it all with them again. He calls them. He blesses them, he feeds them, and he calls them to follow him. And he hangs with them. I mean, he's cooking fish on the beach. How long does it take to cook fish on the beach? And then eat the fish and then sit around the fire and pick the bones and poke the coals. And He's hanging with his friends on the beach. And in that time is when he reinstates Peter. In Peter's shame and in Peter's denial, Jesus gently restores Peter and calls him again to follow follow me. Do you love me, Peter? And the tone of Jesus in this is not disappointment, I don't think. I don't read frustration and disappointment into any of these passages. I, I read gentleness, I read love, I read I read real compan- like real friendship into Jesus. That he's risen from the dead and he's conquered sin and death and the whole thing's done. And what does he want to do? Hang with his friends. He keeps meeting them and eating with them and saying hello and being gentle and restoring them and encouraging them and explaining things to them and doing all kinds of that kind of stuff with them. It's a, this wonderful picture of Jesus. And when I put all of these things together, I see this Jesus that's so concerned about relationship. And yet I know that sometimes in my life and in in the version of Christianity that I've heard and I've preached, we sometimes talk so much about Jesus like he's a, 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 a mission driver. Like, he's, he's, he's wants the job done and he wants the soul saved. Like, I, I felt that. And yet the picture I get of Jesus in these encounters is not someone who's in a hurry for the mission to be done or making sure they really know what they've got to do and can you go and do it. Uh, I see a Jesus who's just being with his friends and followers, who's bringing them up to speed in a gentle, loving, relational way, who's connecting with them. It's like his priority is connection, not task. He knows there's stuff for them to do, and it's not like he doesn't say anything about it. He does. In the, in the scripture, you will see there's a couple of times he says, I'm sending you. You know, if you read the Matthew version, there's no, there's no encounters, it's just go. But we're, look, you know. But there is a sense that there is something, they know they're going to be going off and doing something, but the priority right now is relationship. Jesus seems far more concerned about how they are, how to restore them, how to meet them where they're at, and how to love on them, and he trusts them for the task after that. If Jesus is the perfect image of God, then we can trust that God's first priority is relationship with you. God wants to sit on the beach with you. God wants to meet you in your grief. 
God wants to encounter your disappointment and will be quite happy walking 11 kilometres with you wherever you're going. Quite happy to give you a tease and see if you want him to stay. Quite happy to break bread with you. Jesus is well happy to just show up in your life and say hello at any given moment or time. Hello. Hello, you. Hello, you. Hello, you at work. Hello, you at the doctor's. Hello, you on the beach. You seems to like showing up and saying hello. He seems to like handling our confusion and our fear and our doubts. He seems really concerned with getting us over our shame. He really wants us to be beyond shame and in relationship with him. He likes hanging out in the ordinary things like fishing and cooking. This is God, the heart of God, to have friendship with you. And I think this is, this is definitely something I'm just living in more and more. Are there things that God has for us to do? Sure. Would he rather be with you? Yeah. Does he want you to do the things without relationship? Nah. He doesn't cry, does he? He wants the relationship, first and foremost, to know you and to be known by you. He wants to be with you and to love with you and to walk with you. That's the priority of God. And he trusts that if you get that right, the mission is secure. I mean, let's be honest, the mission's secure anyway, isn't it? It's not got much to do with us. We participate and get to play and get to dance in the kingdom and have some fun co-working with God. But the mission of God is not on our shoulders. It's on the shoulders of Jesus. And I'm well glad about that. He wants relationship with us. And so just to finish, I want to step away from, not step away from that, but I know if you're anything like me and if I heard a message like this, this is what I'd be thinking. Yes, I like that. But frankly, the bodily person of Jesus isn't showing up in my life. That's where my mind goes, right? I mean, it, I just kind of think, well, that was nice for them. But what about me? Because I haven't seen Jesus. So then that leads us to really decide or question or ask ourselves, how do we encounter Jesus? in our day-to-day life, if this is our God, this relational God who loves us, who meets with us, who wants to be with us, how do we access that relationally when Jesus doesn't show up in skin? So that's the difficulty. I mean, it's all well and good. We all go, yes, I know God wants relationship with me. I want relationship with him. But then the question of how we do that comes to play. So I want to push on you the challenge that your relationship with Jesus is working out the how. It's getting the, yeah, I know, I, I know God is relational. I know God wants me. I want God. I want to be known by God. I want to know God. But then the how kicks in. So there's all kinds of how depending on how you relate to God. And this is, comes into how each of us behold Jesus because I think we do it differently and God does it differently with us because it's not one size fits all because it's not one personality fits all. So God works with you in the way that you are relating to you in your space. And the task of your spiritual life is to figure out how you connect with God as you, not as your wife or your husband or your friend or your mum or your dad or your pastor, but you. How does Jesus meet with you? Some of you will encounter Jesus really easily in, in, in worship, in song, in music. You'll... You'll be in that place and you'll just know, sense, feel the presence of Jesus. Some of you will really get high on creation. That when you're out in the bush, when you're out on the beach, when you're out in silence or under the stars, the Holy Spirit mediates to you the presence of Jesus. And you sense the awe and the majesty, you get the peace, you feel the joy, you sense the the, the awesomeness of creation and then 
in that you sense the awesomeness of God and then in that you know this awesome God loves you and your heart is warmed within you. For some of us, it's creation. Um, For some of it, you know what we need to get really way better at is seeing the face of Jesus in each other. It's so easy to dismiss the things that come from another human person because they're just from another human person. Whether it's a friend who buys you a coffee or um, someone who says a kind word or whatever it is, it's easy to just think that was that person. But what if it was Jesus inside of that person ministering to you? How good could we get at seeing the face of Jesus in one another? And just going that that's, you know, maybe it was a lira that gave me a kind word, but it was Jesus in a lira that spoke to me. And not only do I hear a lira, but I hear Jesus. And in that I feel the relationship. It's things like this that we can do um, to really encounter Jesus. And I, I have a lot of trust and a lot of faith that in any given week in your life, Jesus is bumping into you on a regular basis. The problem is not that Jesus is not bumping into you. Usually the challenge is that we're not recognising it. But I think that if I can go anything by who God is as represented in Jesus in these post-resurrection encounters, he's chasing you and he's popping up and he's saying hello and he's finding you in your grief and finding you where you wait and finding you where you walk and he's, and he's, he's with you. The challenge for us is opening our eyes and going, I see you, Jesus. That's the great challenge. So in finishing tonight, this is what I want us to do, just a little quick exercise. I want you to close your eyes, get yourself, wiggle your bum, get yourself comfortable. Um, Since it's the end of the day, and it's Sunday. We might do it about today. This, this is a, I'm going to get this wrong. This might, this might be a Jesuit spiritual practice, the, ex, the examine. Who knows? You can nod, Merlin. Yeah, the examine. The daily examine is, is a spiritual practice of looking at your day and opening your eyes to see where God was in places where you might have missed him. So I am not an expert in this, but I'm going to just lead you quickly through one of these. Um, and I'm just going to trust that Jesus is going to pop up for you somewhere. Is that cool? So close your eyes. Holy Spirit, just as we're here in your presence, Holy Spirit, we're looking for Jesus. We know that if God is relational and Jesus is relational, then Holy Spirit, you are relational too. And we trust that you mediate to us the presence of Jesus. And so as we remember, Holy Spirit, bring to mind places where Jesus was. I just want you to think about what breakfast was like for you today. Where you were. Who you were with. What you ate. And I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, was was Jesus with me at breakfast time? Now I want you to think about what you got up to this morning between breakfast and lunch where you went, who you spoke to, what you did. And again, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, was Jesus bumping into me this morning where I didn't see him? Can you show him to me? Now just think about lunch. 
and your afternoon before church. Think about where you were, who you were with, what you ate, what you did. And again, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, was Jesus bumping into me at lunch in my afternoon? Was he present in a way I didn't recognise? Did he speak to me through someone's voice I didn't hear? Jesus, we want to know you like you want to know us. We want to see you like you see us. We want to hear you like you hear us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep forming us into people who behold Jesus, who can sense his presence, who feel the love and the favour of God upon us that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the goodness of God all around us in the wonderful and in the ordinary. Help us, God, not to buzz through life missing relationship with you, but give us an awareness and a tenderness to see you, that we would know in those moments that we are loved and that we would be able to love you back. Amen. That's a little thing you can do every night or every morning for the day before. Just exam. It's called the examine. It's written examen. I heard someone else say, I was always saying the examen, then I heard someone else say it and they said examine. And I was like, oh, it's called the examine. I do that all the time. Anyway, I'm only as smart as the things I hear. Um, just reflecting because Jesus is bumping into you and meeting you and popping up and saying hello. We have the eyes to see. So bless you. If you have time this week, go back and read some of those encounters and see what you see in Jesus. See if you see the same things I see. See if Jesus reveals something else to you about who he is. Bless you. Have a fantastic week. It's Mother's Day next Sunday, so you know what that means, ladies. Food and drink and good times. So come along if you're not hanging out with your mum and uh, have a good week.